Righty, uh, this Battery Metals episode of Life of Mine is brought to you by NTech, a bloody great mining consultant, if I may say so myself. Now, if you only take one fact from this episode, take this. The last great copper discovery in Australia, the DeGrusa mine, NTech did the feasibility study for it. Fact. So... If you by chance strike a shitload of copper in the coming times and you want to get it out of the bloody ground, NTech are the copper feasibility study experts. Check them out, ntechmining.com.au if you do not know them already, which there's a high chance that is not possible because everyone knows NTech Mining. Welcome to our fourth and final Battery Metals episode where we tell you everything about mining. The raw materials for electric vehicles. Matty Michael here, Life of Mine podcast. And we are featuring the Aussie EV guru, Andy Clayton, from Precision Funds Management for this series. If you haven't listened to the first three yarns already, where Andy and I are smashed out a battery overviews episode, a lithium episode, and a nickel episode, go back have a bloody listen very 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 informative but still in true life of mine style as per fucking usual i will not sell out i promise so for the fourth and final yarn we talk copper now the big peacocker in the copper world is the escondida mine in chile Owned 50, 57% by BHP, 30% by Rio. It is 6% of the global copper production coming out of this joint. We talk about this joint, where all the copper is around the world. Fuck all in Australia, essentially. All the big porphyry copper deposits, they're in South America. And they are predicting a massive supply deficit in the coming years. We pretty much need to find another six escondidas to fill the gap should not be too much of a drama and of course there's shitloads more copper chit chat in this yarn so let's get stuck into the final battery metals episode we'll enter this episode with a joke what do you get when you call triple o you get a copper Copy your shift boss. Okay, radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy your personnel. Yeah, copy mate. Yeah, stitch her up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, right, eh? Copy that. Welcome back, Andy. EV, who'd been touted the EV guru. Um, how I'm not sure how that's sitting with you, with your professional Paul. and personal life. Poorly. <laughs> Have you been, um, yeah, that, but that's the thing with these things. As I said, you get a bit of, the, the fame comes a bit of uh, shit from your mates, usually. Yes. So feedback has been uh, sensational and the downloads are going through the roof for the, uh, as we are uh, recording this, the episode one, the EV battery overview and the lithium episode is live. Nickel's coming out tomorrow. It's been fantastic. Um, great, great insights. Hey, if everyone, if you haven't listened to them, it'd be like, you wouldn't go watch Fast and the Furious 7 first. Go back, watch the first one, do a, do a binge. So, uh, And episode four today, we're going into copper. 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 Uh, how exciting. And I, I did I did me – well, the general consensus, what I got out of copper 
is just looking at the top 20 uh, producers by capacity. South America is the hot spot. Yes, South America and is. Australia's got bugger all. Australia's got bugger all. So 40% of the world's copper is produced in Chile and Peru. Sort of thing. So mm. there you go. And with with, the, with global production of about circa sort of twenty to twenty one million tons of, of copper per annum, sort of thing. But yeah, the thing with copper is that it is vital for for, for in the EV batteries and other components in the renewable whole renewable thematics. So just to give you a con- uh, thing off the Oz Mineral slide. So for a conventional car, you, uh, kilogram per vehicle, you're looking at sort of about twenty five kilos of of copper per vehicle. Whereas an electric car, you're sort of over 50, so top yep. of, almost double. And then similarly for a uh, power generation, uh, offshore wind, um, they talk about kilograms per megawatt of power. You're sort of at, at 8,000 kilograms for offshore wind, um, mm-hmm. for copper. So uh, onshore wind, a little bit less at about 3,500. And then, you, you know, solar PV sort of circa, you know, a bit over about three and a half thousand as well sort of thing so there's no doubt as we as as society transitions that they will need a, a lot more copper um and I, suppose, I, d- I suppose that was something we probably oh, i probably overlooked in the previous episodes was oh, i had a, you know, we had a big focus on electric cars negating the the battery use for wind and yep. the wind turbine wind turbines so, yes absolutely so, and, so and, is there and a solar battery, yeah yep. so is there a battery um because well, most solar goes just solar to an inverter, either into your yeah, house or back into, into the grid. Correct. Whereas is wind turbine, is there a battery component in the wind solar No, thing? it's similar to the to the uh, solar. Okay. So, yeah. and so it's more the, as in, so the copper's used for the wiring. The wiring and the, uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, as I said, I think I alluded to early in the episodes, there's- for electric cars, you've got the copper component in the battery, yep. which I didn't know was as high as it was when you said, and then the copper component for all the electrical wiring yeah. to yeah. make all that sort of things. That's right. So, so really, the, I mean, copper, the, you know, 30% of copper is used in construction, 30% in sort of electricals and equipment, 15% in infrastructure, 15% in transport, and 10% for industrial purposes. So. It really is an infrastructure commodity, and in the you know, and in this energy transition, it will become even, even more relevant. Um, and, and I was reading a fact that interestingly, you know, US twenty eight billion has been allocated to exploration over the past decade, which was more than double the sort of the ten billion that was spent in the preceding seven years, seventeen years, but actually failed to find any more copper. So, um, only one hundred and fifty million tons of new copper was defined from about thirty one discoveries in the last ten years compared to about 863 million tonnes in 190 discoveries in the preceding 17 years. So, yeah. I, I mean, that all, all that really says is the easy copper has been found and really prices need to rise and to stay high to incentivise uh, mining companies to get, out, get, to get out there and explore and try and find new copper. And over that period, you've also seen global copper grades you know, decline quite, quite considerably. So... For instance, the average grade in about two th- in two thousand was between one point three one point four percent copper. You're currently looking at about 09 percent copper. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so it's been a, a, a fairly marked drop off, and and the world's largest mine at Escondida has as grade declines been even more pronounced. So they've gone from sort of one point three percent to about 07 percent. Is that right? Yeah. So. It's a, and because oh, when you put it in the scale of what Escond Escondida is such an outlier in the Tons per annum of copper. I was just looking here. This yep. was for 
two years ago, I think. Um, so 1.4 million tonnes per annum yes. of copper coming out of Escondida. And then the next is, I can't pronounce, Coloasi uh, in Peru, uh, sorry, in Chile as well. That's 610,000. Yes. So, Grasberg's bloody um, 400,000. So, Grasberg's a quart and you know how bloody big that joint is. Well, that's, that's 400,000. Right. That's a quarter of what's coming out of Escondida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, Escondida is an absolute, you know, owned 57% by BHP and 30% by Rio. Um, you know, cash costs are circa that sort of dollar twenty to dollar forty a pound, um, but there is significant capital required to maintain that sort of production rate. Um, it's, it's it is hard to get information off BHP, but I, I did notice in their uh, presentation it was US two point seven billion for the copper division, and there's probably you know, of that there's probably at least one and a half billion for Escondida. Because what, what else have they got? So Olympic Dam, that's not even yeah. in the top. Well, that's not even in the top twenty producers. Um, they um. I just remember because I when I worked at Degrosa, which was you know very yes. high grade yep. project in Australia. That was the one of the big, not obviously not the biggest, but that was and that was only like sixty five thousand ton of copper right. a year coming out of there. When you put that in, into and context. that was it. That was what we considered a like one of the big exciting new copper projects yeah. for Australia. Oh no, absolutely, and it's a fabulous mine. It made you know at six, you know five and a half six percent copper. Yeah, made you know it made Sandfire into a mid cap mining company. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I think it's. Finishing up probably September quarter this year, but you know it was a fabulous rich mine, but in the global scale of things, relatively small. Mm. Uh, really, and to, to fill this void you talk about there, because um, Degrosa was a very um, like a unique find. You got to find a fuckload of <laughs> Degrosas to really you know compete yeah. to supplement um, <laughs> what you know mines like Escondida are yeah. providing globally uh, oh absolutely and and CAU forecasts there'll be an annual supply deficit uh, over the next decade of six million tons so they're saying over the next decade which is equivalent to sort of another sort of six more Escondidas need to be required yeah. to fill that gap and they they estimate uh, you know capital or investment of about a hundred billion yeah. is required over the next decade to to, to, to find that so there, there's some pretty Serious numbers that um, if, if we are going to transition and copper's going to play a leading part in that, then a lot of money needs to be spent in the ground. And it, would, it, would it get to the stage where mines will actually be throwing away some of the other byproducts of, <laughs> of, of ore bodies just to get all the copper out nearly like? Oh, miners don't like to chuck away much there, Matt. So <laughs> but I, I think, think I suppose mines it'll be could have been a gut like uh, – could have been like a gold mine, might actually become a copper mine where yeah, due to the, the importance when on, the prices- on the, Well, I think certainly on the byproduct credits where, you, where, where it's a uh, polymetallic mine, you certainly might see if copper price goes 5 $6 a pound, then some of these uh, old mines might be reopened. Yeah. But it's really probably the, um, you know, the large copper porphyries that require significant upfront capital. Um, you know, interestingly, I was reading about the other day that um, you might remember the, the Rico Dick deposit that- uh, it was, it was probably 12 years ago, Mincor, Mincor which was a very successful um, miner in Cambodia, nickel miner, they they spun out a copper project that was located in Pakistan. I think it was right on yeah. the border with Pakistan and uh, uh, in that really bad zone. Yeah. Uh, and But it was a fabulous deposit. And then I just noticed that Barrick Gold announced the other day that they planned to redevelop that um, yeah. $7 billion development. Um, it, and looking at sort of production of 40 million tonnes per annum sort of thing. And so this is the classic one where it's a it's been a very politically unstable area. Antifagasta were in there for sort of eight years, I think. So 
It was always going to be destined to be mined by a major, um, and it now looks like Barrett Gold, in partnership with, I think, the, uh, the Pakistan government, will be um, looking at pushing the development button uh, in that in the you know, in the not too distant, well, at least doing the studies in the yep. not too distant future. So, well, one of the I interviewed a surveyor last year, Brett Crocock from Mine Survey Plus, and he he showed me videos of him in a bloody in a little buggy with a topo all the topo gear on doing a survey in pakistan right okay doing a land survey in yep. pakistan and it could could possibly have been that project because right, he was yeah. uh dealing with <laughs> smugglers and stuff that were driving past on yeah, the border yeah, yeah. sounded it was it was long and the short bloody yeah. dodgy yes. um now types of types of deposits uh well you mentioned porphyry um Degrees was a massive soul, volcanic massive soul. Yeah, the v- 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 VMS. I mean, yeah. The, the and there's obviously shitloads of porphyry, yeah, shitloads of, of beco- deposits down South America. Yes, um, that's right. Yep. Give Classic. us a bit of an overview of what you do know in there. Well, I mean, you've got the, you know, your massive porphyries, you've got your VMS deposits, yep. um, and then you've got your oxide, uh, which, which are your heap leach. Um, where they can plate to metal, um, st- straight through to metal. But really, I mean, your dominant ones, I think, are your big, large copper porphyry ore bodies um and which is escondida which is escondida those sorts of style and i mean sort of new deposits on the on the horizon um you know there's the fabulous high grade one over in the drc kamoa kakula copper project and so that's a joint joint venture with ivanhoe mines friedland zijin and the the government and it's it's got an average grade of about four and a half percent copper so you know so in in light of the grades we were just talking about, this is um, probably five times the average grade. Yeah, right. Um, and that's how got, big? How big? How big? It's got reserves of about sort of ten and a half million tons of contained copper. Not sure if they're actually producing just yet, but their initial production is going to be sort of circa two hundred thousand tons, going to four hundred thousand tons, and then a phased expansion to sort of eight hundred thousand tons. Yeah, so which it's going to be put pretty them as serious. the second biggest yeah. um, producer in the I, world. I was looking at that. So there's sort of Glencore, Freeport, and, and BHP all produce around that sort of million tons, 1.2 sort of. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. I was, you know, the Freeport, as you mentioned, Grassberg before. I mean, that's been going now 55 years. Yeah. Um, one of the world's, you know, fabulous discoveries. And they, they have produced 38 billion pounds of copper and 54 million ounces of gold over that period. And, but I was looking at their reserves, and they've still got reserves of 32 billion pounds of copper and 26 million ounces of gold. So, about half you know, <laughs> that's worth about 190 billion in revenue at these prices. Yeah, so, right. you know, people talk about world class, and then there's, you know, this is truly world class. So, yeah, you know, that was a discovery by Freeport Metron in the 70s, and, um, you know, st- still going strong. Mm. A lot of life left in it. Oh, um, I'd love to do a, um, a uncensored podcast on that operation. The 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 operation itself and then the the corruption and that like there is the all the word on the decline stories i hear about that it is bloody interesting right, yeah. very very interesting uh yeah geez that'll get me some probably some unwanted fame yes yes no i've never been there but um it would certainly be fascinating i did read the book uh, i think it was copper mountain by forbes wilson oh um, there's a book about it yeah right. oh, he, he, he was the one that discovered it for freeport as a yep. geologist that went up and saw this Big large, um, I think, uh, porphyry sticking out of the top. Um, yeah, yeah uh, fascinating book. Um, and, and other new projects. So there's that one that some listeners might be aware of, the Soul Gold Project in Ecuador. Um, so that's a large. It's, it's called the Alpha Project, but Cascavel's the main one. So that's got about a resource of about 14 million tons of copper equivalent. You know, it's a 2.6 billion tons at about it's about 0.5 percent copper. Mm. Um, but as I said, all these ones, it's a you know it's a capital cost issue, so that's a 
capital costs of about US 20, 2.9 billion, sorry, 2.7 billion, um, and producing sort of starting off at about 300,000 tonnes of copper equivalent per annum. So, yep. you know, there are some of these new copper projects coming on board, but, um, you know, they tend to be, you know, located in DRC, Peru, um, South America. So that's the main sort of areas. Yeah. Uh, what about Australia? I guess what big ones, what have we big got? ones at the moment? Yeah, so our, our largest sort of um, domestic pure Play is Oz Minerals, so that's got a market cap of about nine billion, and and produces about one hundred and thirty five thousand tonnes of copper per annum. So they've got the um, uh, Carapatina that they've just started mining, and Prominent Hill, and um, and they've got a little bit from the Carajás over in Brazil, and they've got the West Musgrove project slated to come on in sort of two thousand and twenty five. Um, which that's is Oz, the old, Oz Minerals have got West. Musgrove. Yeah, so that was yep. the one when they bought Cassini. Um, which was a small company that had this project. In, and West Musgrove was originally discovered, pretty sure, uh, might have been by Western Mining, but then BHP had it. Um, they did a bit, little bit of work. Um, and But since then, Cassini built it up to a stage where yeah. they did a joint venture originally with um, with Oz Minerals, and then Oz um, decided to take them out and develop it themselves. So that should be coming on board in, you know, calendar year 25. So they're, they're the that, largest. Is that down same area? South no, that's, no, that's in, yeah, it's in that sort of border. West Musgrove is sort of the border between WA and um, yep. South Australia. Uh, other ones that you alluded to, so Sandfire, that's got a market cap of about $2 billion, um, had, has got the fabulous DeGrusa deposit, it's almost finished. And then they, last year they acquired the Matza project in Spain uh, and they're building the Mothe deposit in Botswana. So that was a takeover of Mod Resources that you might remember it built up. A, a project over in Botswana. So they currently produce around 95,000 tonnes of copper a year, but that's forecast to increase to about 125,000 tonnes by FY26 as, as Mothe ramps up. Um, group group costs are in, uh, all in costs are estimated around US 170 a pound. So Sandfire should be making, you know, should deliver some very nice healthy margins at these copper prices. So, so I say, because I always say, because, um, I pounds don't make sense to me, and <laughs> so when uh, and all copper costs are always put in, you always see it as US dollars per pound yep. copper costs. Um, yep. Same thing as I ask for lithium grades. Yeah, yep. Copper copper costs. What's um, good, bad? What's the what's the healthy yeah. range? Well, I, I suppose if you're looking at um, the current copper price of circa four dollars twenty a pound US is, and most people actually report it in US dollars for some yeah. reason. So. You know, so the set, four, at the moment, it's four dollars. Four dollars twenty is the is is, yep. the is the current price. I mean, eighteen months ago, the the, the price was sort of two fifty. So, yep. you know, Sandfire's always always that degrees of mine because of its grade has always made made very good money. Um, and so that their, their C one costs were sub were about a dollar dollar five a pound. Yep. So anything like that is is is, is very good. Sometimes you do get. Um, the byproduct credits, where you know, it might be a copper producer, but Sandfire did have a little bit of gold with it as well. So their C1 costs would be considerably lower because they net off the byproduct credits. Um, anything, you know, and then you move up through the ranks, Oz Minerals at sort of, I think are around that's a little bit higher cost of probably about a 140, 150. Uh, you then got to add in some sustaining capital and all that. And then your higher cost producers are things like, um, Eris that produces sort of twenty to twenty five thousand tons from their Triton mine, they're up around that. 
three dollars, you know, th- US three dollars a pound sort of type mark. Um, so they were literally uh, they needed this bloody price to go they up. They didn't need this price to go up. They 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 really bootstrapped themselves and ripped out a lot of costs. But um, you know, the, the de- it was an underground mine. It was getting deeper. It was getting harder. The gr- the grade was declining. Uh, they did find some new open pitable stuff that they will be bringing on in the short term. But they they, they, they survive through the cycle, um, mm. and at these prices are making. Making modest cash flow. So, in terms of your anything below a dollar a pound, you know, or really a dollar fifty to two dollars a pound, um, is it, it, it is pretty good. When you start yep. getting into the three dollar a pound cost, that's um, you know your margins are getting squeezed, and um, you know it, it becomes a little. You are a bit more obviously more um, affected by the price. Yeah, on any price weakness sort of thing. Um, it, the other domestic producers are Twenty Nine Metals, um, which is they produce from Golden Grove and from its Capricorn Copper project. Uh, there are about fifty thousand tons of copper from gold from both projects, but Golden Grove is a polymetallic, so that also has sort of some zinc at sort of seventy thousand tons of zinc. You mind uh, heat there too? You mind what heat? Heat. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna come out of coming out of the underground with a bag of heat. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Pour your tea down there. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, so um, I'm still traumatized. It's all right, good. Yeah, okay. Probably shouldn't slag them off too much. Right. <laughs> so, so they're really the um, you know the the, the larger um, Australian ones, and and it's you know it is it is hard to invest in the copper space in terms of looking for that up and coming um, uh, new new project because you know discoveries. It is hard to find a, a decent project. Another smaller one that we actually really like, uh, A1C, which is uh, the, the ticker's A1M, uh, run by Aaron, Aaron Colloran, um, and they bought the Eloise, Eloise yeah. mine from um, uh, Peter Bartlett, uh, who, who'd run that privately for a long time, and that's a similarly modest scale, sort of twelve to 13,000 tonnes of copper a year. Uh, they've been only been in, had it about six months, but... Um, Putting a bit of capital back into the thing, but they're making good cash flow at the moment and at these yeah. prices. And really, the trick is to—they've got the mill. There's lots of stranded resources surrounding them uh, that, you know, logic would suggest at some time they would come into that, um, you know, come into that mill. Yeah. What about uh, what about Nova? Is that was that? Is there? There's a copper. Yeah, there is a copper in, credit with Nova, uh, they but pre- it's predominantly it's nickel. predominantly nickel. Yes, but okay. there is there is not you know there is a nice copper credit. Um, you know, with, with with that as well, I think Nova you know, was at sort of twenty five, thirty thousand tons of of nickel a year. I think the copper might have been five to seven thousand tons okay, in that so sort a of range. Sweet, yeah, um, yeah. I'd have to check that. Uh, my old friend John Bishop uh, used to cover that one, so yep. <laughs> I, I, I left that one to him. Yep. So, so obviously, the general consensus seems like it's going to be it's going to be very, very challenging to fill this pending copper void um well is a straight is a straight is a obviously the geological part of australia like it just doesn't host massive copper deposits like no. it does in south america I, I, I think that's right absolutely so yep. we don't have the massive undeveloped copper porphyries that that you're seeing in um in south america and also up in indonesia um i, I used to cover a company called Tampac, uh, Indofil that had the Tampacan project down in the island of um, Mindanao. Um, You know, the government put in an open pit mining ban that sort of poo-hooed that project. But, you know, Glencore ended up owning that project and I think at some stage that ban will probably get overturned and that that is a large 
you know, similar to these, you know, super-sized deposits of million and millions of tonnes of contained copper sort of thing. So yeah. I, I, I think that will be resolved. Similarly, I, I noticed that it, also in Indonesia, you know, Vale's had the sort of the largest discovery. They own 20% of this thing, which has got circa about, you know, 1.8 billion tonnes at 0.9% copper and half a gram gold. Yeah, so, yeah. so so there are some, you know, some big discoveries out there, yeah. but, but it's all about... Finance, you know, ha- having the money to be able to finance them, and and it's normally the domain of the big boys. And is size is a big, I assume, would be correct me if I'm wrong, a big factor in say if you're looking for a copper discovery in Australia, you can't. It'd be different to a gold mine, wouldn't it? You can't just go and mine little narrow veins here and there, no. where due to the the whole cost side of things That's and, right. and milling it, that yep. copper essentially needs to be. There'd be a different scale that, Dif- that different size and and, and and the thing is with with gold you know you, you take gold through to, to metal and you just sell the the gold bars um you know copper you normally the the, the juniors are, don't have the size to take it through to to metal unless they're an sxcw which is which is often higher capital um so they produce a concentrate um yeah. and so you know you need a marketing arm you need it's just a little bit more capital intensive um off, often on those sorts of things projects and you know we just haven't found that 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 much in australia um and then the, and then the shipping the the shipping the you know the, the 28 percent concentrate yep. over to bloody china there's a lot of it ain't cheap no no, no and all. The, all the trucking of it to port and everything um yeah gold's easy just fly it on the plane <laughs> eh? get those couple of blokes that come up in the blue blue shirts from the that's um, right put it put it in the four-wheel drive yeah, and drive they get, it they, out they, they always um, get the fucking front seat too the <laughs> bastards <laughs> they get the good window up the front god um yeah so is there an alternative to copper for wiring, um, is there? I suppose fibre optics too bloody uh, too expensive. But, um, not that I'm aware of. As I said, it's been around for if you if you do for know, centuries we'll keep it between <laughs> me and you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but that which is why the price is it is where it is. Really, it's yep. just that lack lack of supply, uh, strong demand, um, lack of inventory, um, and I think it's going to. The price should right you know, has to remain at these levels, if not higher, to to mm. support um, new developments. Is in terms of like all the resources that are mined in the world, copper would be in terms of the pressure that uh, or the influence that one mine could have on uh, the global price. Like if Escondida shit, it's uh, like if they bloody yep. rioted over there and yeah. went on strike or or so, something like that. As I said, in terms of global production, the influence a- ab- that abso- one mine like absolutely. that could just. I mean, it's six percent of the world's copper production, Escondida. Yeah. So it is pretty significant. When and when you do see the periodic, you know, the strikes that that happen um, yeah. over in that in that part of the country it certainly does affect the um has there has there been strikes oh there's been strikes in chile um and and escondida's previously had some 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 issues um workforce going out on strike um wanting better wages um also all those sorts of um uh, issues um and and that's all part and parcel of um working in that those south american countries and um you have seen you know, Chile talk about nationalising their, their their copper industry and those sorts of things. So sovereign risk does become a real. Yeah. What is nationalising the? Oh, when the government says we're going to take the mines, it's ours. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, geez, there'd be some uh, BHP and Rio be spending a lot in wages for um 
what is it, diplomatic relations and, right. and everything to keep everyone happy. Exactly. Both in there and all. You're saying what happened in Mongolia and everything. Yeah, well, with, exactly. Uh, oh, you Is that that? What's where's that? That's that's predominantly yeah. copper as well. Yeah, like. that's predominantly copper with some uh, gold, gold byproduct credits. Yep, Oyo yeah. Toyo. Yep. Yeah. So that's under the under Torquez Hill, which is predominantly owned by Rio. Uh, they've had some ramp up issues, but similarly, like, like Fairbos Discovery, but. Yeah. You know, a significant capital that, uh, required mm. or has been required to, to, to get that up and running. Because I think that was going to be pulling something something like 90,000 tonne of ore out per day from mm. under, like, because it's underground. underground yep. So it's, yeah. Another yes. one. Oh, we'll have to go on a tour one day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Never been there, but um, it's certainly be interesting. Yeah. No, too easy. Oh, that will, I'd say, anything else we missed for this one? Uh, I think that's um, hopefully yeah, bloody good. So long yeah. and the short, bloody if you um, drill into some. Well, that was probably why that um, you now that Tempest Minerals they hit a bit of possible copper and their possible share price just went through the bloody it roof did, just yes. from the and then rapidly went down. Quartered. Well, I, I think pe- people started because it was close to Golden Grave, which has been a fabulous yeah, and mine. Yeah, it's just a, um, the G- G- a, a neurology play and some geologists. The core looked um, looked really interesting. It's it, but it's it's early days and. Yeah. Um, you know, Australia would, you know, a, a new copper discovery would be fantastic. Mm, yeah. So it's, uh, oh, that's where, well, I've got to hit you up for some copper tips after this. So <laughs> too easy, mate. Th- and thanks very much for um, bloody donating your time and knowledge and everything to this uh, battery metal series. And I do sincerely apologise for the grief you get from uh, your <laughs> professional counterparts <laughs> that you said you've been getting. I'm sure it's no. all, I'm sure it's all just uh, oh, yes. jealousy. I've, I've, I've got a very thick skin. It's all right. It's, uh, it's all right, yeah, we're going to be, yeah, well, you know, well, you're locked in now. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, mate. And, no, not uh, a problem, mate. Thank you very much again, Andy. Good on you. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye now.